And so I think if you can just boil it down and keep it simple and say like, look, ultimately everything we do around cybersecurity is making sure that we have really strong access controls. Like that is a huge, huge, like simplifying way to communicate the value of what, you know, we all spend many, many hours of the day to keep up. And it, and it maps to every major breach that's happened over the last four or five years. Hackers today aren't breaking in, they're logging in. That makes controlling and managing access more important than ever. In this episode, Tony Huey breaks down why securing access is at the core of modern cybersecurity. Tony is CEO and co-founder at Twingate, a modern provider of zero-trust network access solutions. He sets the record straight on that buzzword you've been seeing everywhere, zero-trust, and dives into security's usability problem. So buckle up, folks. We're in for a ride. All aboard. I'm your host, Alex Bovey, CEO and co-founder of Conductor One. All Aboard is a new show designed to equip security and IT pros with the tools, knowledge, and practical advice to keep their teams secure and productive. Join me to hear from experts and innovators that are shaping the future of information security. In today's episode, I'm talking with Tony Huey. Tony is the CEO of Twingate, a modern zero trust network access product that helps companies replace their legacy VPNs. I've enjoyed getting to know Tony and his team at Twingate over the last year. They're focused on user experience and quick time to value, two themes close to our heart at Conductor One. Their business fundamentally changes the way that employees access sensitive infrastructure remotely. It's an important pain point and one that I've seen companies struggle with for as long as I can remember. During our discussion, we demystify zero trust. We talk about usability as an imperative for modern security products, and we explore the movement of decentralizing access control. Let's get into today's show. All right. Well, Tony, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, talking all things security with you. Why? Excited to, to have the chat. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so a couple couple questions. Um, to start with, I'd love to understand how does Twingate fit into the Zero Trust ecosystem? Zero Trust, what a dirty word you just used, Alex. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the way to think about Twingate is we are, um, we, we play a, we view a, a pretty kind of connecting role in, in making zero trust possible where we start with the network and the idea is we help you tie together notions around identity, um, device, uh, device security, device, uh, device management and your network so that you can enforce, um, zero trust concepts like least privilege access, identity based, um, access, et cetera. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. And, and, uh, if I understand it correctly, Twingate, you're in the zero trust network access market space. What, like, when you think about your buyers and the personas that use Twingate and really, you know, really love your solution, what differentiates them or what are they looking for that's a little bit different maybe than some of the other Zero Trust Network access providers? Yeah, so we, we work with a lot of, um, a lot of modern, uh, modern companies. And what's, what's interesting about these companies is you think about them as they're basically either cloud native, they were built in the cloud, or they are aggressively moving to the cloud, right? And and one of the interesting uh, dynamics that that creates is the notion of what an internal network is, is vastly different than a traditional company, right? So you don't you don't think about your corp network as, as that network that was tied to your physical office. Your internal network's really like your distributed, you know, distributed VPCs in lots of different cloud environments, et cetera. And so all of the considerations around how you deploy, how you manage, how you administer um, are very different, right? So, you know, our customers are very 
uh, developer-centric, so they'll take advantage of using our API for programmatic deployments. Um, they use our Terraform provider for ongoing management. And uh, it's just like a, a totally different point of view that they end up taking. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to, to observe because there are so many advantages to, to having this kind of programmatic approach to managing zero trust because it makes it much more tractable for, uh, for a company to get their arms around. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The other, um, the piece about the corporate network resonates obviously a lot with us at Conductor One because we're a modern company. So our, our corporate network is the Starbucks Wi-Fi. You know, we have, there yeah. is no, there is no privilege that's granted by being on, um, the Wi-Fi in our office here, for example. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that, that persona, that modern security and DevOps persona. And what is it in particular that they really look for when they're they're looking for solutions in your experience, particularly as it relates to TwinGate? Yeah, so um, I think what's what's fascinating about um, this kind of generation of 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 practitioners is that they're kind of growing up in a world where technology is so much more of a integrated part of how like just work gets done in general. And so because of that, I think there's a much uh, tighter relationship between technology technology decisions and your 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 kind of like business productivity um concerns that like a like a line of business buyer might have right and so because of that i, I think there's this really interesting um trend we're seeing where you know companies are yes looking for uh certain requirements for it and security specifically right does it do x does it do y but then you know, as, as much of the evaluation these days are like, hey, how can I get my business teams to actually use the product? Um, how do I make it um, palatable for resistant populations to actually like buy into this program we're trying to push? And so like, so things like usability are much are a much bigger concern. And I think it's actually just great for the industry to have this kind of pressure on, on the ecosystems to make these products actually like usable. And you eliminate shelfware as a as a notion in in security, and so, you know, we see a lot of that, and I think it's it's great. I think it's great for the industry. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, so you're telling me user experience matters in uh, business software again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. I mean, so I was at I was at Dropbox back in like the early 2010s, and at at the time, there's this notion of like consumerization of IT and it was basically a euphemism for, hey, software doesn't suck that you actually want to use. And it's, you know, taken 10, 15 years for that to play out. But I think it's finally coming to, you know, security, which is, which is, which is, I think, a great thing because, you know, just with the rising prominence of cybersecurity attacks and, and, and breaches and things like that, I think everyone's just the base level awareness of, of security is, um, is much higher. And so it's just kind of culminating, I think, all these trends play, playing together. And um, I think it's going to be exciting, like, you know, coming decade for how, how, how this whole category plays out. I love it, too. I, I, I personally am really inspired by the fact that user experience matters, again, particularly as it relates to business software. I think I'm guessing, I don't want to project, but I'm guessing you and I both grew up in the realm of, like, seeing some of the old B2B SaaS software that used to get sold that was terrible. No one liked to use it. It was bought by a central purchasing decision maker, pushed onto the org, and then the org like rejected it because it was was if not it, easier or you know efficient or whatever to use. So yeah, yeah, I love it. I don't. I I uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that disruption play out through yeah. the, the market. Well, 
Dude, you know what? You know what's interesting is that like we so we just so that dynamic you just described. I I think it's it's kind of this like classic um, um, Billy Road. I think a lot of uh, a lot of like IT security teams sometimes fall into, which is that you know you kind of make decisions that you think are good for the company, and because it is obviously good for the company, you can just like jam it down the rest of the organization's um, uh, you know throat, throat so to speak. And uh, I think what's what's interesting is that because I think just the base level awareness around um, security and usability and how how big of a role employees' own behaviors play in keeping a company secure, that that consideration around hey if I if I force my employee base to do this and they don't want to do it, you know I think there's a much bigger recognition that hey human nature is going to be such that they're just going to figure out a way to get around that right so why fight against that wave uh and why not instead just take that as a as one of your kind of key requirements um in your evaluation of these technologies and so you know things don't ever don't ever change overnight because these these, these kind of like trends and generations play out over many years and in some cases decades but i think that's happening a lot now even even legacy you know quote, quote unquote legacy more traditional companies that we talk to these days there's a much much bigger um, awareness and focus on like, hey, I got to make this stuff easy to use. Um, otherwise, um, you know, it's going to put the whole security uh, regime at risk because employees are just going to figure out a way to do, you know, whatever they want. Yeah. Another trend that uh, two more trends I'd love to to talk about with with relation like that things that we see shifting as well around Conductor One, and I'd I'd love to hear if these resonate with you. The first one is time to value. And I think that's another big change that I've seen, like with old school business software versus like, you know, even we're in kind of the modern governance, modern access control space. People really want like a quick time to value with deploying a solution. They don't want tons of professional services. They don't want like long drawn on implementations. Does that affect TwinGate? Do you see a similar dynamic? And how, how have you guys yeah. thought about that from a product perspective? Yeah, it, it's interesting you, you bring it up as like uh, as a trend because I, I my guess is that if you went back 10, 20 years and you asked, hey, would you prefer software that can be like quickly deployed? Everyone would say yes. Like <laughs> everyone wants that. Um the you know the the challenge is, has has been though is that uh a lot of software hasn't necessarily been designed for that to happen, right? Because you think about legacy um legacy uh software um Services, you know, services revenue lines were a pretty big component of, of enterprise software companies in the past. Um, you know, big professional services engagements uh, in some ways helped create stickiness because you know your companies are pot committed once they've like invested all these dollars and cycles getting this stuff deployed. And so there's kind of this like perverse set of incentives in this like legacy enterprise software space. And um, you know, with like software as a service and all the, all cloud and all these things, I I think the 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 kind of notions and incentives have started to change quite a bit, which I think has been really healthy. And uh, I think it's it's like a it's a it's a really good um, it's a really good uh, trend. I think that that buyers want to find software that you know f- the the time from POC valuation, proof, you know, proof concept in your sandbox environment to hey, I can see this very quickly, turning you know, flipping a switch into production. The fact that like there's line of sight into that, um, even before you close on a deal, is a really good thing, and I think buyers love it, right? And I think it's a big reason why um, 
in many categories, this whole notion of like product-led growth and like try it before you buy, those notions are even starting to, to trickle into categories of software that are more traditionally essentially bought and, and pushed down. Um, and not to say that like, you know, like, you know, products like, like, like the ones that we, you know, we sell, um, will never be like a, a, a Dropbox or a notion type of thing where small, you know, small functional groups will, will get in just because of how sensitive the, the, the software is. But I think a lot of those principles still, uh, still make these categories work, which is if you can make it easy to deploy, um, easy to see the value as opposed to just, uh, see it on a slide. Um, those things, I, you know, definitely resonate with, with buyers yeah. today. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, to to riff on that for a second, I think it it dovetails into I know like the new hype cycle right now in the valley is like all PLG product like growth. Yeah. I was around ten years ago, and they just call that like growth teams and growth hacking <laughs> and like gold emotions. But just this idea of you know, I think sometimes that PLG gets conflated with the idea of like I need to be able to swipe a credit credit card to pay for something. I don't think PLG is like a, it's like a motion, right? And you can optimize as much of that motion as you possibly can, given your buyer and the dynamics of rolling something out. But to, to really maximize what you were saying, which is the ability to like experience value and see something working for you, um, you know, without having like buy the software first and then, and then try it out. So yeah, it super resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it is in some ways that, you know, we talked about usability, um, earlier, which was mostly centered around usability for the kind of like end users of the software. So the employees and all that, I think in, in a lot of ways, you know, quote unquote, PLG product led growth for category software like this is really for the admins. Like how do you make mm-hmm. it easy for the admins to get going for them to, um, configure the things that they need to, uh, and have it just make sense to them to have it look like, feel like, you know, modern software they use in other, uh, parts of their lives. And so I think it like. A lot of it is 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 that actually right, which is yeah. like you take that kind of uh, uh, user centric approach to the admin experience as opposed to just the employee experience. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you also mentioned centralization uh, previously, and that's something that we talk a lot about. As as actually, I I do think a, a kind of like trend, like a market level trend of this idea of moving away from centralization and a little bit more of like democratization for us, that's around like democratization of access control, decision-making application ownership, resource ownership. Um, it feels like there's parallels kind of in the network access space, like, you know, kind of old school VPNs, very centralized command and control in terms of who owned those, what you were allowed to provision. Um, I did notice in TwinGate, you know, you guys have like a DevOps role, presumably where you can, you know, delegate a little bit of, of management and administration, um, and TwinGate to that role. So I'm, I'm kind of curious if you see a similar trend around democratization and delegation of like some of the different control features of your product versus this more central command and control, like old world regimen. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting point. So you, know, you, you, you mentioned the word zero trust at the beginning and I kind of like, you know, laughed at a little bit, but like one of the aspects of zero trust that I think is underappreciated is that the whole notion of zero trust is that how do you move away from like broad-based access to much more like granular, Like that's one of the core tenets of of a zero trust program. And one of the um, underappreciated challenges of moving to that model is that all of a sudden you now have to have orders of magnitude more permissions that you have to be able to manage, right? So as opposed to giving access, so in our case, access to an entire 
you know, cider block or entire, you know, DNS zone or something like that, you're now put in this position where you could um, be much more granular. You could say specific IPs, specific addresses, those types of things. And so you just think about the, 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 the number of kind of edges you can think about that you have to actually go, go, go manage. It's, 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 it's a lot. It's, it's, it's pretty insane. And so uh, I bring that up mostly because that pressure makes it impossible for a IT team sitting centrally without knowledge of the rest of the business to even make those decisions, right? So, so I think this kind of decentralization, democratization around access control, I think is actually a, a, a natural uh, second order effect of, of even moving to this kind of whole notion of like zero trust. And so I think products have to adapt to that, right? Like products have to actually go think about how do you enable other parts of the business to participate in the access controls? And I think it's actually really healthy because it makes it, you know, makes it um, a shared responsibility as opposed to something that's, you know, just IT or security making decisions. And it allows, I think, um, uh, central kind of central functions like IT and security to craft policies and then have them actually be enforced in a way that makes sense for, uh, for the functional organizations. Um, and it goes back to this whole notion of like, how do you get the businesses to actually adopt these types of, of products? And I think if you can empower these other teams to, to, to make these decisions, it's going to feel much more natural because it's going to be based on how they, how they work. And so, you know, for us, um, that, that, that is a big part of it, right? And, and, you know, we think about, you know, our joint customers who work together, um, that's a big part of it too, right? It's like, how do you actually enable teams and other functions to, to actually go administer, hey, you know, give access to such and such person. Here's a reason why, and um, and you know, revoking it when is unnecessary. Like I think those those these types of workflows are very natural, kind of second order effects of this like new security model. I think everyone wants to move towards. Most trust. definitely, yeah. The, the other thing in there is the uh, the centralization of of policy enforcement, but the delegation of sort of access control and decision making to the people that have the best information. That's the that's the tricky part, I think, to really yeah. get right uh, as you move forward totally. into the totally. zero trust ecosystem. Totally, totally, yeah. And it, and the other the other aspect of it is. You know, I mentioned, you know, cloud networks um, in the beginning. And, and that's like another thing that's very different, right? So like, you know, in the past where you might have one big monolithic, you know, corp network that, you know, everything sat in, a lot of our companies have like hundreds of VPCs, right? And and there's very, there's very low likelihood that a, an IT uh, administrator is going to know what's in that random you know, VPC uh-huh. um, and know who should have access to it and when should they, you know, get removed from it. So putting that onus on that IT person is is actually both inefficient. It's going to be bad experience for the IT admin and bad experience for the folks, the engineer who needs access to that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, dev environment or what have you. It's kind of, so it's I kind of, like, un, it's kind of unfair to, I, it's kind of unfair to yeah. IT too. If they're like, I don't know. So what ends up happening? Like, so, you know, so when we talk to a lot of companies, so obviously like, so we're not, we're not one of the first players in this notion of zero trust network access, right? Like yeah. you know, there's lots of, you know, you, you, you can name lots of big companies there. What's fascinating is that if you go talk to a lot of those customers and you actually like ask them like, hey, how have, how have you actually deployed your ZTNA product? You look at those resource definitions, guess what they are? They're sire blocks, they're like whole zones. They basically replicated a VPN architecture um, because that's the only way you could do it, right? Like, because the IT has no idea what's in that environment. So I'm just gonna give you access to, to everything. And so, the, the evolution that we talk to customers about is that, hey, you can actually get a handle on that, but it requires a different way of thinking about it, right? It's not manually kind of handcrafting these policies. It's actually being much more intentional about 
you're using automation and using like data to, to inform those types of policies and then having smart, we call them like human in the loop type workflows where you yep. have to go approve that workflow or like approve that request and things like that. And so I think there's just going to be a different model that emerges um, to, to really make this possible. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, switching gears to like macro level trends, any uh, any spicy takes on security or zero trust at this minute? I mean, I know zero trust is like, it's always the marketing buzzword. Yeah. Um, at least it feels that way, like the marketing buzzword du jour. Maybe that and maybe sprinkle a little AI ML into it. But um, yeah. what are you, uh, yeah, any spicy takes there? Okay, so here, here here's my take. So I think if you talk to any security practitioner, IT practitioner, they'll look at the word zero trust as a negative thing, right? Because they'll look at like, hey, uh, all these vendors have kind of, you know, bastardized this term and it's like, doesn't mean anything to anybody anymore. And it's just bad for the industry to have this type of like um, message out there, right? Because it doesn't mean anything. So I think that's true at, at some level. I also think that what sometimes uh, folks in the industry lose sight of is that it's actually a pretty powerful dynamic sometimes because it gives you, know, you the security or IT leader, language to go talk to your your fun, you know your functional counterparts, whether it's your line of business owner or your CFO or what have you. It actually gives you language to go talk to them because odds are they're also um, you know casually hearing about these terms as well, and so it gives you like you know it gives you that kind of language to have those conversations. And you, you think about most I, you know, IT security leaders, they're, you know, they're one of their biggest, you know, challenge, challenges might be a strong word, but like one of the kind of areas that is incumbent on them to be good at is communicating with the folks who control the budget, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like finance scenes and controlling and communicating with folks who, uh, who can control uh, end user behavior, right? Which is the functional functional folks. And so I, th I think actually that like, you know, just generally elevating the awareness and giving, um, giving the industry terms and shared language to be able to talk to, um, kind of folks outside of, outside of the ecosystem are actually a really healthy thing. And, um, you know, the best folks that we talk to actually take advantage of that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but we've definitely seen like budget and project aligned to like zero trust initiatives, like multi-year yeah. zero trust initiatives. So that's always a good thing too, right? Like it's a business, it's a security driven business transformation in terms of how you control access across your your company and modernizing your organization. So uh, you can attach to that, it's a good thing and, and create the momentum internally around it as well as a security leader. Yep. Any uh, security predictions for 2023? So one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is like, how do you describe what cybersecurity is to somebody who's not in the industry, right? So this just might not be exactly answering your question. But so so I spent a lot of time, you know, obviously talking to folks who are deep on insecurity and, you know, we ended up going down these like uh, these somewhat esoteric arguments around disability that world really was the right term to describe this, et cetera. Um, but for, for a lot of folks, um, I think the the more powerful trend in security is that everyone is just more aware of of like the fact that security is important and that these breaches aren't just things that happen in the back, you know, kind of like on the side, but actually has direct impact on the you know viability of businesses, et cetera. And so because of that, I think there's um, there's going to be a 
uh, a pretty big push, I think, for a lot of um, security IT leaders to basically figure out how you'd be a more effective communicator and actually describe these challenges in a in a much more like human, explain it to me like a vibe type of trend. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see that play out actually, because I think it will vastly simplify, for example, H1's and vendor's website if, if, if that actually becomes a trend. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to will this into existence that like this actually happens because I think it's going to be good. <laughs> I love industry. it. Dude. Project, project your vision onto yeah. the world, man. I yeah. love it. That's, 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 that's <laughs> my secure prediction is that, is that, you know, um, is that, that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be great. Like, you know, I described you know, obviously, like you know, you and I are both in this 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 industry around access management. Like, I think that if you really break down, like, what is cybersecurity for most companies? It's actually just managing access. It's like totally. making sure that the right folks have access to the right things, and the wrong people don't. And any outside attacker, what they're trying to gain is access, right? Access to the mission. And so, I think if you can just boil it down and keep it simple. And say like, look, ultimately, you know, all, everything we do around cybersecurity is making sure that we have really strong um, access controls. Like that is a huge, huge, like simplifying um, way to 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 communicate the value of what of what you know we all spend many many hours of the day thinking about. And and it actually you know it, and it maps to every major breach that's happened over the last four or five years. There's always you know it's it's, it's rarely a you know some highly kind of uh, obscure technical uh, attack that happens on a piece of infrastructure or, or something like that. It's almost always due to ac access gaps, like yes. credentials not you know, getting around MSA, getting into environments that are overly permissive. Like those are literally the reasons why people get breached. And so you just think about, okay, let's just, let's just keep it simple and start security. Like we just got to make sure we have our, our arms around, around access. And, you know, I just realized that we're not, you know, we have a long way to go there and it requires both, you know, new mindsets, new processes, new technologies, right? I, I, all of those things come together. And I think we can, we can get to a much better place over the coming years. Yeah, totally. We've, um, we talked a little bit sometimes about like, uh, attackers don't break in, they log in, you know, I mean, it's yeah. like not totally accurate. Sometimes you can steal a bear, to like, you know, there's, there's nuance there, but yeah. <laughs> conceptually, well, no, I think I it's actually quite it's, right. It's a, yeah, but it, it's actually like, you know, you think about how do you communicate to, you know, your CFO, your CEO, your board on why this stuff matters. It's like literally those kind of, those, those, those kernels are like really, really totally. helpful. Totally. It makes it, makes it real for everybody. Cause you take, yeah. you take like, yeah, uh, you know, a complicated message around network segmentation and just in time access and all this and, and kind of simplify that down to like attackers, you know, attackers log in <laughs> and they get yeah. access to things they shouldn't have access to. And yeah. uh, you got to prevent that as a company. Exactly. Um, well, Tony, it was great uh, taking the time to chat with you, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for, yeah, thanks for jumping on. Good stuff. Always, always a pleasure, Alex. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of All Aboard. See you next time.